You often hear me ask guests about their failures. That's because I've been noticing both in my own journey and in working with clients, we seem to learn most intently from our failures more than almost anything else. On this episode, the permission and perhaps even a bit of encouragement to embrace your missteps. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 338. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Most of us have heard that if we're going to lead well, we need to be willing to make mistakes, we need to be willing to screw up, and we need to encourage that kind of culture in our organizations. And yet, it is not the default setting of most leaders. It's certainly not the default culture in most organizations. In fact, if anything, many of us have been taught, don't make mistakes. If you do make a mistake, do whatever you can to fix it really quickly before anyone finds out. Today's guest is really going to challenge us on that because she's not only been a leader in her own organization and in her own leadership, but she has really been a leader in helping reframe, screwing up, making failure a priority in order to learn from it. I am really glad to welcome Kristen Hadid to the show today. She is the founder and CEO of Student Made, a successful cleaning company that hires college students. Student Made is known for its culture of trust, accountability, and empowerment. Many of the students who have worked with Student Made have gone on to run their own businesses and receive highly sought-after positions in companies around the world. She's been featured on PBS, Fox, Time, and Forbes, and her TED Talk has received more than 2 million views. She is the author of the book Permission to Screw Up, in which she tells the stories of her biggest mistakes in leadership. Kristen, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thanks for having me. So this company started because of a pair of blue jeans is the story I hear. How did this get started? Yeah, it did. So let me start by saying it was never my intention to be an entrepreneur. I was in college at the University of Florida. This was about 10 years ago. And I thought I wanted to be an investment banker and work on Wall Street. And so I was a finance major. And that was the goal that I was working towards. And then I just happened to go to the mall one day. I was completely broke, shouldn't have been there, but I was at the mall and fell in love with a pair of jeans. And it sounds so silly, but these jeans, I, there was just something about them that I, I, I had to have them and I didn't have the money to pay for them. So to purchase them, I put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house. I charged exactly the price of the jeans. It was a complete disaster. I mean, I didn't know anything about house cleaning. <laughs> But she, well, she the, paid the cleaning me. was the disaster. Oh, yeah. I mean, it took me I think I told her it would take me two hours and it ended up taking me something like seven hours. And <laughs> oh, it no. was, you know, it wasn't even really done when but it was dark outside. So she's like, you, you need to leave. But <laughs> I bought the jeans and I thought that would be it. And then the woman who hired me, she asked me if I could come back every week. And it just kind of organically grew from there. And I ended up turning down a job in finance when I graduated from college because at that time, this little small cleaning company had grown to employ 75 people and I was just in love with what I was doing. Wow. What an incredible story. I, the thing I love about the book is just how transparent you are about the things that so many of us have 
done, <laughs> but we don't necessarily <laughs> talk about uh, publicly. And one of my favorite stories is you at one point, as this was growing, landed a huge contract to clean apartments and you hired 60 students to do the work to help you out. And then something big happened on day two of that uh, project. What happened? Well, this, so this contract you're referring to, this was my first real job. You know, up, up until that point, I was pretty much cleaning by myself. I had maybe a couple students helping me. And it was right before my senior year. I thought, this is a great opportunity, clean hundreds of empty apartments, only a few weeks to do the work. But it was a great way to make money for my New York apartment that I thought I would be getting. <laughs> and I, you know, I hired 60 people, all students, all peers you know, of mine, because I, I knew how hard it was to find a job as a college student that was really flexible with, with classes. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anything about leadership, didn't know anything about business. And these students are cleaning these filthy, disgusting. I mean, I, I won't go, I won't tell you what was in there in case any of you are eating, but it was just awful. And then I decide to sit in the air conditioned clubhouse of the apartment complex because I thought that was leadership. You know, and in every movie I'd ever seen about business, the boss just kind of sits in the office. And so that's what I did. I didn't I didn't have an office. So I sat in the air conditioned clubhouse and I said, hey, if you guys need me, I'll be here. And a couple of days into the contract, 45 of the 60 walked into that clubhouse and they quit on the spot. And looking back, I say this in the book, but that was that was the moment that changed everything. It was the moment that I became obsessed with leadership and I think had that not happened, I don't know if I would have gone down the path. I went down and actually turned down a finance job. I'm trying to picture this moment. <laughs> it was, it was painful. <laughs> you in the clubhouse. And so 45 of them all walked in on you at the same time. And someone or they also, how did that, how did this play out? I know people are like, wait, what happened? But I think, you know, they're, so they're doing this work that is unglamorous. They have a leader who doesn't seem to care about them. So I'm sure what happened is one said, I don't want to do this anymore. And then the other said, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, it doesn't take much for these 45 people to say, let's just go in and quit. You know, so they walked in and they didn't they didn't make eye contact with me. And so I knew something was wrong. I was eating lunch and I remember saying hi. No one said anything. And they got a little bit closer to where I was sitting and one stood forward and she not did not look at me, but just said, we quit. And they turned around and they walked out. And it, it's hard to explain how it felt. I mean, I was at first confused, you know, trying to process what had just happened. And I went from being angry at them to then being panicked because we had so much work to then reflecting and thinking, wait a minute, did I do something wrong? And I don't want to ruin it for those who, who may read the book. I did get them back. And the way, the short version of the way I got them back is that I was honest. I was vulnerable. I admitted I didn't know what I was doing. And so I'm so thankful for that moment because it taught me that not only are screw-ups normal when you're in a position of leadership, but that the best thing you can do when you, when you do screw up is admit it and say it out loud. And that's when people start to trust you and see you as a human being. I remember reading in Dale Carnegie's book uh, that was, you know, published almost 100 years ago, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of the chapters is talk about your own mistakes before mm -hmm. criticizing other people. And it really strikes me of how much of your organization and your leadership style has been built around the willingness to 
talk about the mistakes and to bring that into conversation. And one of the quotes I've heard you talk about is the quote, curiosity killed the cat. Tell me about the the, the lesson there from that quote for you. Well, I think that when I look at my life, you know, I was always very curious as a kid growing up, my parents fostered that curiosity. And no matter what it was that we wanted to do, I mean, lemonade stand, babysitting service, you know, I remember being six years old and I wanted to have this babysitting service. And my mom drove me around to hang up these flyers, knowing that no one would call me, but it was just like, they, they let us be creative. And so when I was actually preparing for my first TEDx talk, I, I wanted to talk about curiosity and I looked up that quote and what I found was there's actually a part two of the quote that we don't say. It's curiosity killed the cat and satisfaction brought it back. So it's really about allowing yourself to be curious, allowing yourself to try things, allowing yourself to take risks, to be brave, to have courage when maybe it's easier not to. And my whole leader, I mean, I've been doing this, I've been running my company now for 10 years and the only reason we are where we are is because we've embraced that, you know, we don't know what we're doing. It's okay. We learn most when we fall down and that's when we really figure it out. One of the things that I really, that really strikes me about you is that you're a very brave and very courageous person. And you tell stories in your writing and in your, your talks about all the things you did as a kid, as you were just mentioning that uh, are really amazing to me. And, and I think that one of the challenges that leaders often have, if there's something that they're naturally good at, that they really have a very difficult time teaching that to someone else because it comes to them so naturally. And yet, it's really impressive that you seem to have found a way to take something for you that is very much a core talent and to teach other people how to do it. What I'm curious about is, do you have a sense of what you did where you've been able to create a culture now where it's okay for people to talk about screwing up and to have failure and to bring that out into the organization. Mm-hmm. I have two thoughts. The first is about the screwing up piece. I think when you're in a position of leadership, when you just talk about your screw ups, and by the way, when I say leadership, I just want to be clear. I think that anyone can be a leader no matter where you are on the totem pole. You know, A leader is just someone who can impact the person sitting next to them. And so I think when you can go into a room and say out loud, I messed up, can we talk about it? Can we talk through where I messed up so that I know what to do differently next time? You're giving everyone else in the room permission to then talk about where they messed up. Maybe not right there in that moment. Maybe they'll come and talk to you later and ask for your advice later. But I think the best thing you can do in terms of how do you create a culture where people feel safe messing up and they're they're comfortable taking risks is by saying out loud, that you've messed up, that you've taken risks, because people model that behavior. The second piece, how do you teach people the things that you know? You know, I I think for me, I didn't have any previous business or leadership experience. So everything that I that I learned, as I learned it, I thought, man, I this was so hard to learn. I want to make it easier for our people to learn the same thing. Because many of our students, this is their first job. They're not coming with previous experience. We we do hire people who aren't students. And people who do have that that previous experience, but most do not come with that. So we've essentially become a leadership development program. I mean, yes, we clean and we vacuum, but our students take classes on all of these things that have nothing to do with their jobs. 
things like how do you build a relationship with somebody? How do you network? How do you, what is vulnerability? What is empathy? How do you listen? You know, how, how do you identify where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are? And these are all things that I had to figure out. And I thought, well, how do we teach this to, to others? It's really hard in an organization to make the focus on professional and personal development. It's a huge time investment. It's a, it's a huge financial investment. But when you can teach people that you care about them and you're investing in their growth and development, they want to stay with the organization because they feel like they're the priority. So I think, you know, cleaning, the cleaning industry has a terrible reputation for high turnover. And we've been able to beat that because of our focus on our people. And not to mention low margins and right. you're, you're working with a workforce. I mean, one of the things that's just so amazing about your business is everyone who comes to work for you, or at least the vast majority, are going to be leaving in a year or two, right? They're moving right. on to other opportunities as they graduate from school. And how have you done that? In the midst of having a really low margin business and people transitioning, how does that, that learning, those classes you talk about, how does that show up in the, mm-hmm. work, in the work every day? Yeah, you know, I, I guess this whole thing wasn't intentional. At first, you know, it was I saw Student Made as a cleaning company, but I knew there was something else about it that was special. I just didn't know what it was. And, I, and it was frustrating because people would say, well, why did you choose cleaning? And I couldn't give an answer. I knew it wasn't the dusting that I liked, you know, or the vacuuming. <laughs> right. And so it started out really organic, really small, where maybe I would read a book and I would think this is a great book. And so I would buy copies for a few people in the office and I would say, let's all read this book and then let's talk about it. And then I would maybe go through a difficult situation where I had to confront a difficult topic and I learned you know, how great it was to confront something. So I would gather people together and say, hey, let me tell you about this experience that happened today. And I know confrontation's hard, but I, I felt so much better when I did that. So is there something that you need to confront? You know, So it started very much just, again, modeling the behavior. And then my, my perception of leadership really changed. And it used to be that I thought, I, I thought my company was successful if we kept everyone in the company. And, I, and my fear was people leaving. And probably a lot of that had to do with 45 people quitting on me. It kind of gave me a complex, you know? Yeah. But as time went on, I realized, no, we're successful if our students graduate and move on and bring what they learned here somewhere else. And they make a positive impact, whether in their own company or an organization that they go on to work with. So everything is about preparing our students for the skills that they they need to have to be successful in the world. And the whole point is for them to move on and use those skills somewhere else. So when you think about it that way, everything changes. You know, everything we do now is about, is this causing a student to learn and grow? If it's not, we're not doing it. And I think any organization could do that. And it, it you know, it, it's not, it doesn't take that much time. We, we only have a couple of these workshops that we do. Most of it's on the job. But it's just stopping and thinking, what skills do we need to be successful in life? And how do we give those to our people? How do we teach those skills? And it's not as complicated as you might think. So it's not even so much about the what you're doing. It's the, it's the, it's the how you're doing it. It's the values yeah. behind it. It's the intention behind it, which is so critical for leaders and organizations to get clarity on, isn't it? I think so. I think so. And I think especially when we're looking at the next generation, you know, one of the one of the things I think is so critical for success is the soft skills, right? The the relationship, the communication, the ability to confidently introduce yourself. But we're looking at this generation. Many grew up building their relationships 
behind screens. So to, to no fault of their own, the soft skills just are not there in every case. And so we have to really work to teach instead of complain, teach, you know, how can we teach these young people how to build real relationships and communicate outside of the, you know, from putting the phone down so that they can go off into the world and and have the skill set that we all know is is required to be successful. Am I recalling correctly? I may have read somewhere that you don't allow texting in the company. Is that correct? So we do text, but we we made a rule that we do not text about things that are important. So uh-huh. we really try to encourage face-to-face communication. And we the only way to really do that was to make a, a, a company-wide rule. You know, So we said, hey, no more texting about things that matter. So we can text about things like, what time is the meeting? Or what, remind me of the address or, you know, but hey, I have an idea or I want to talk to you about something that happened today or I need some time off. You know, th- those conversations have to be face to face. What happened when you made that transition? Were you doing it differently before and that uh, transition or have you been doing that from day one? No, we, for a long time, you know, I think technology, the, the point is to make us more productive and efficient and that it's great for that, right? But what it, I think it's done is it's replaced the interaction we're supposed to have with each other. And and so in my business, yes, we would email text. I, w- I would email someone instead of walking, you know, next door to their office to talk to them. And it started to feel cold in the office and just quiet and, and people seem distant. And of course, it's going to feel that way when most of your communication is not face to face when you're not building those those real relationships. So I I started to speak a lot about culture and it took me out of the office. And then I felt really disconnected because I wasn't seeing people. And so that was, that's kind of what prompted me to make a change. And we talked about it as a leadership team and we realized that the texting and the emailing, it was really hurting us. So we definitely email and we definitely text, but we save that kind of communication for quick things that really don't matter. And I will say that when you walk into student made, I mean, you can tell that it's a place where relationships come first. People look at you in the eye. There are people talking in all of our common areas. And that, to me, that's the most important part of a business. It should be giving people the the environment to build those those meaningful relationships. You said the word generation a moment ago. And I know one of the questions you get all the time because of your age and because of the demographics of the employees you have is about millennials, how to manage millennials, how to lead millennials. And I, I wanted to ask you maybe a slightly different question around that, because I know there's a lot of tactics that, that people talk about. But I, what I'm more curious about is what are the questions as leaders who are leading, working with millennials, maybe even being led by millennials, what are the questions that we should be asking that we're not? Whenever we're leading anyone, and we need to know how do we better lead this group of people. We tend to have that kind of conversation without the, those people present. And I found that the best thing you can do is involve those people in the conversation. So to sit down, whether millennials or not, you know, at the end of the day, I think we can't really paint everyone with the same brush and say all millennials need this and all baby boomers need this. And I try to see, you know, we're all human beings. Everyone wants to feel valued and significant. So the question is, how do we make people feel that way? And if you bring a group together and you say things like, what are your fears? What do you feel like you're not equipped for in your job? You know, wh- where do you want to go from here? What-, what are you hoping to get out of your career? 
And you'll find that some of the answers that, of, as to what people need are, are in those in those conversations. And what we did in our company is we asked our people, how do you want to feel when you leave work? And we heard words like invested in, safe, trusted, you know, and then we asked, and how do we make you feel that way? And what we realized is our people really wanted to grow. And that, that also sparked this whole professional and personal development angle. And, and so I think the best thing you can do is just sit down and have an honest conversation with your people. I know some, some people listening will wonder, okay, how can I start that? If I haven't done that as, a, as an organization mm-hmm. or as a leader, when you started doing that, what did that look like initially? Was it just, was it just a one-on-one in a conversation or did you set up aside a meeting to do that? I'm, I'm so curious how that came about. I think it's best to give people a heads up so they know what they're walking into. So whether it's a one-on-one meeting or a meeting with a group of people just saying, hey, I, you know, I really want to get together to talk through some ideas of ways to make our environment or our culture even you know better than it is. It would mean a lot to me if you could sit and talk for an hour. What I'd love for you to do is come with ideas that you have on on things we could be doing as a team and as an organization to make you love your job even more, you know? And we overthink what do we need to say to people? Really, we just have to be ourselves and, and be human. So you could even start when you're actually with the person saying, look, I haven't been doing a good job of this, which is why I want to start. You know, just again, admitting the maybe this is a conversation we should have had a long time ago. I'm sorry, we're just now getting around to it. I'm happy we're having it. Giving yourself permission to not have all the answers and to screw up and and say it out loud. You know, I learned, I always say I learned to make people feel valued by making them not feel valued. And I learned to make people feel empowered by micromanaging people. So it's okay to admit, you know, I don't, I should have done this. And I'm sorry that we haven't had this conversation, but we're having it now. So often when I ask people, what are who's who's the best manager they've ever worked for they articulate what you just said which is mm-hmm. someone who is willing to talk about their mistakes who shared where they screwed up who was really real with me and yet when most of us get into roles of management we try to do the exact opposite <laughs> you know always have the yeah. answers to the questions and it's it's so interesting. Like w- when we sit back and think about it, it seems sort of obvious, but it's so obvious sometimes that we just miss it, don't we? Yeah, you know. But I think why is it that way? Well, it's because when you are leading a team of people, you're you're supposed to make them feel safe, and and you're supposed to make them feel like they can trust you, and that they the organization is successful. And so the thought is, well, if I admit I don't know the answers, or if I admit weakness maybe that will make them feel unsafe. And I can't do that. But really, we know that no one is perfect. We know that an organization can't be rainbows and butterflies all the time. So when we don't hear about the challenges, the obstacles, the weaknesses, the failures, we actually start to distrust because we think, what are they not telling us? And then when we're not being told something, we make it up. That's how rumors start. And you know, I think the very way to build trust is to admit hey, this is what we're going through as an organization. It's going to be really hard to get past this little bump here, but we're going to do it, you know, and this is how how we're going to do it. Or I have no clue how we're going to do it. What are your ideas? You know, really involving people to be a part of the the charge of the organization. And it's you're right. It's so simple. Yet when we get into that position, it's like we we completely forget that that's, that's what we should be doing as leaders. Me too. 
I read a book once called If Love is a Game, These Are the Rules uh, years ago. And I remember the last chapter of the book was when you fall in love, you will forget all of this. And <laughs> and then I sort of think of like leadership as the same way. It's like yeah. so many of us have heard this about, you know, we talk about failure all the time on the show. And yet we get into a new role and we forget about it right away. It seems like we have to go through this, this painful process. And speaking of uh, painful processes, I one of the things I'm I'm curious about too is, you know, you get you you get in these conversations. I'm sure a lot about millennials and how to work with millennials. What would you like people to know, especially people out there running large organizations who are not themselves millennials? Uh, what what is the misperception that people have, if anything, today that you'd like to see people to start to shift mm-hmm. their thinking on? I think that we have to start seeing ourselves as coaches and. We have to start seeing it as our job in our organizations to teach our people, to equip them with the tools they need to be successful. I think no matter what generation, you know, let's take feedback, for example. We, we hear, these are not my words, but, you know, millennials, they, they, you have to walk on eggshells when you give feedback and many aren't used to it and may cry, you know, but when you take that even further, don't you think feedback especially critical feedback is uncomfortable for most people. And have we ever really taught people how to give feedback in a productive way? Have we, have we ever taught people how to be receptive to it and what it can do that it's actually a gift and that when someone's giving you feedback, they're actually, you really care about you and they care about your growth. No, we, we usually don't. We just assume people know. So I think that we have to start looking at, you know, what in our, what are we asking people to do? Are we asking them to communicate to customers? Are we asking them to, to, come forward with ideas and solutions when they have them to make the company better? Are we asking them to have empathy on the phone when a customer complains about something? You know, what, what are we asking of them? And then we have to teach all those things. We can't assume that anyone comes in and knows exactly how to do it. And I think it's especially critical for the millennial generation because again, the soft skills and the technology really has affected the, the soft skills. However, look at, I mean, I walk into restaurants and I see people who aren't millennials on their phones instead of talking at dinner. And, you know, I think this is more, it's a problem that's not confined to just the millennial generation. So I think we have to start seeing ourselves as coaches, teachers. It's our job now to invest in people. And we've got to do that because the fact is millennials will be 75% of the workforce in 2025. And many, again, to no fault of their own, are missing the skills that we need them to have. And now it's our responsibility to teach those skills. You have started a leadership development program internally to be really intentional about these things. And so you mm-hmm. mentioned a bit about the workshops a bit ago. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, when you started and as you've put this together, what lessons have you learned in really teaching those skills that, um, or maybe even where have you messed up where you've, mm-hmm. uh, where, where you've found a better way to do something? What I've learned is that when people find themselves growing personally, they associate that with the job. People now come to Student Made saying, is this a place where you learn to be a leader? You know, people refer their friends because they say, this is where you learn how to be a leader. And now it's almost like we forget we're a cleaning company. So I've learned that when you invest in people, it really, really matters. And it can be the reason they tell their friends to come. It can be the reason that you earn their loyalty. We've messed up because we've overcomplicated it. You know, it doesn't have to be this set curriculum where you have you know, facilitators and state of the art, any, you know, it's just, can you just give people a basic understanding of something? Can can you just have a two hour workshop where you 
you know, you talk about the importance of feedback and, and you teach how maybe you think you should give feedback or you have everyone read a book about feedback. You know, it doesn't always require something big and grand. So I think I've learned that it, it it's just even the smallest gesture, even go, taking somebody to lunch and saying, let's talk about what's going well in life and in your job and what's not. Just that means so much to people and we don't have to overcomplicate it. Where have you overcomplicated it that it got in your way? Gosh, that's a hard question. I think we, at the beginning, well, we have a four-hour workshop that they take when they first start. And then we wanted to have a, a bunch of other workshops throughout the year that they would take. And it was just, I don't know, we just felt like we had a, I don't know, it was a lot of pressure. Like we have to find the most perfect curriculum and the most perfect. And then we just stopped ourselves and we thought, wait a minute, what what have we learned and th- that's been beneficial in our leadership journeys and how do we just pass that along? So we found that the answers came from within us, that it wasn't something where we had to go out and do all this research. It was just from our own experiences we were able to teach. So I think remembering that, especially if you've been in a position of leadership for a couple of years, you have a lot to offer people. And it could just be something where you bring your team together every quarter and you have you know groups of eight to 10 people just talking about what have you learned this this quarter? What's been going really well? What's not? And letting them just giving them the space to to grow together, to vent, to share their successes, their challenges. Those are the kinds of things that when you do it, you send the message to your people that you care about them before you care about the numbers and the customers and the bottom line. So you're looking for and unearthing the stories that are already there, the experiences yeah, that are already there, there in the organization. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's such it's fantastic. And, and again, so simple. It's it's easy to miss. Mm-hmm. And yet, right. if you are willing to spend the time just to ask the question and have the courage to ask the question, mm-hmm. it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to, you know, I often ask people about failure in the conversations. I'm not going to ask you about that because we've been talking so much about that <laughs> throughout the whole conversation. <laughs> um, let me ask you this instead. You know, good leaders are always learning and growing, as you've d- demonstrated in your work. Mm-hmm. What have you changed your mind on in the last five years since you've been running this business? My definition of success has changed. When I first started the business, I had a goal to open student made in every college town. And to be honest, it, that wasn't my goal because it's what I really wanted. It was because what people said you should do, you know, you should franchise and you should have you could grow this to 200 locations in no time. And so those messages became what I, what I then internalized is this is what I should do. And actually this, the writing of the book along with the kind of change in direction of going more in this leadership development path as a company, we realized that this is not what we want. And what we really want is to really perfect the way that we do our leadership development so that we can, and really systemize it so that we can teach other companies exactly how to do it. Because as I, as you probably noticed in this conversation, it's all very right now organic and natural in our company, but how do we teach another company exactly how to do what we're doing? And so to do that, we have to focus on that, which means we can't focus on opening new locations, which means we're going to downsize the cleaning side of the business. And we actually closed a location because we wanted to really focus and hone in on this leadership development and curriculum side. We're still very much uh, a large cleaning company, but others look at that and they say, well, what the heck? Why wouldn't you just keep opening? You know, And, and what I realized, it's okay to say no to people. It's okay to change direction. It's okay to downsize and reshift your focus on something. You have to follow what makes you excited, what energizes your team, and you can't allow someone else's definition of success to become your own. 
And so I think what's changed most is I've been, I have the courage now to say, sorry, you know, we're doing this because this is what we're really excited about and, and to honor that. And I think it's really, really hard to do that, but I, I would challenge everyone to do that because you want to, you want to stay true to who you are, your values and to what you want and not be pressured by others to do what they want. Kristen Hadid is the author of Permission to Screw Up. If you pick it up and read it as I have, I think you're going to find yourself laughing and uh, enjoying the stories, but also seeing so many wonderful lessons about leadership. Kristen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Several related conversations to today's episode with Kristen. If you go to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast, or just click on the podcast button in your free membership library and look up the millennials topic, one of the episodes you're going to come up with is episode 158, How to Lead the Millennials. Our friend Chip Espinoza was on that episode, and he's been on a couple of times talking about some of the best strategies that leaders are utilizing today in order to lead this generation. If you are, uh, if you're struggling with that, as many leaders do, and thinking about all the cultural dynamics in the workplace today, I'd certainly encourage you to listen to episode 158. Tons of good practices there. If you click on the management skills button in the library, you're, one of the episodes you're going to come across is episode 284: How to Stop Rescuing People from Their Problems. Kristen talks about this a bit in her book. It is a common challenge for so many of us as leaders to jump in and rescue people from things and even take things on that really should be the work of the people we're leading. And in episode 284, Michael Bungay Stanier, author of the blockbuster bestseller, The Coaching Habit, was on talking about how we can really utilize some key language and strategy to stop rescuing people from their problems. And of course, not only beneficial to us, but really truly beneficial to them. Uh, We want to give and empower people with ownership. And if we coach in the ways that we talked about in episode 284, it's going to really get you a long way along in doing that well. If you hit the personal leadership button in the library, you're going to come across episode 297, Four Steps to Get Unstuck and Embrace Change. Susan David was on that episode talking about emotional uh, agility and a number of ways that we can utilize emotional management well, but also sometimes you know, notice our emotions, but not necessarily make decisions because of emotions. She also has a recent TED Talk out uh, that has gotten a ton of traction online. So uh, check that out, episode 297 with Susan David. And then finally, if you click the entrepreneurship button in the podcast library, uh, one of those episodes you're going to come up with is Ideas Worth Stealing from Top Entrepreneurs. Dory Clark was on the show last year talking about her new book, and we talked through some of the best strategies that entrepreneurs are using today in order to grow their businesses and to influence the world. Whether you are an entrepreneur or not, the strategies we talked about in that episode are very helpful to all kinds of leaders in being effective in your work. So again, that's episode 318. Hey, if you would like to get access to all of those, just go over to coachingforleaders.com. You can set up your free membership and you will get access to that, plus a ton more in the free membership portal. One of the other resources you'll get access to right away is my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. 
also a super helpful resource, especially if you've just started listening to the show recently, because I've pulled some of the key lessons that we've aired in expert interviews over the last seven years and put them into that 10-day course. It's 10 minutes a day for 10 days. You can get access to all 10 lessons right away just by going to coachingforleaders.com and of course, setting up your free membership. Hey, next week, Bonnie and I are returning for the monthly Q&A show. Once a month, we turn over the show to you and your questions. If you've got a question for us that you'd like us to consider for next week or for the first week of every month, Go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That is where to get your questions in. Have a fabulous week and see you back next week, first Monday of the month with Bonnie. Take care, everyone.